Welcome to The Faithful Forebears, a podcast about faithful Christian men and women throughout history. Episode 19, St. Nicholas. Welcome back. Today I'm excited to do a bit of a Christmas special, because after all, it is Christmas time. And there is one saint who's better known in our culture than all the rest. And that, of course, is our friend St. Nicholas, better known in America as Santa Claus. Now, St. Nicholas goes by many names. Santa Claus, Sinterklaas, Father Christmas, Kris Kringle, Père Noël, Weinachtsmann, and many, many more. And not only that, but there are many names that we use today that are derivative of Nicholas. Colin, Nikolai, Klaus, Colette. But how did he get all these names? And what did Nicholas do to become such an international star? And who exactly was he? Well, the story of St. Nicholas goes back all the way to the 200s AD. And it goes all the way back to a little town called Myra. Thus, St. Nicholas is also called Nicholas of Myra. But most of Nicholas's life is pieced together from much later sources. And sadly, if Nicholas wrote anything, it does not survive today. And also sadly, none of his contemporaries, people like Eusebius or later Jerome, mention him at all. In fact, the first mention we know concerning Nicholas is from a biographer of a different Nicholas two centuries later. This second Nicholas, called Nicholas of Sion, was named after the first, and he'll show up in our story again. This biographer tells us a few things about our first Nicholas. First, he shows us that the legend of Nicholas is already alive and strong two centuries after Nicholas. And second, it shows that Nicholas of Myra was a real historical person. And from other sources, we can discover his probable date, born around 280 AD in the nearby town of Patara, which is in modern-day Turkey. At that time, it was in the Roman Empire, And culturally, this whole area was Greek. Stories from much later fill in details about Nicholas's early life. In these stories, Nicholas was born to an older couple named Theophanes and Nona. In a story similar to that of Hannah in the Bible, Nona prayed every night to have a child. After many years, she was finally able to conceive. She was so grateful that she promised God she would dedicate this child's life to his service and train him to be a priest. They named their son Nicholas, which means victory of the people. A later story also says that God closed Nona's womb after Nicholas, because Nicholas was so perfect that none could follow him. According to the same legend, baby Nicholas would also not breastfeed on Christian fasting days. And some of the legends will get better than that. But we won't get into all the Nicholas legends, simply because there are so many. So I will stick to the most famous and the earliest, and we'll go from there. The greatest of all the Nicholas stories is one you might have heard, and there's also a very good chance that it's true. And it's the one that would have the greatest effect on his legacy and ultimately the rest of the world. According to this story, Nicholas's parents were killed by a plague, and Nicholas was adopted by his uncle, who was a monk. Nicholas was raised in the monastery and resolved to become a priest, just as his mother had hoped. As a priest, Nicholas began to know the people of the town pretty well, and he did his best to care for them. 
One family in particular troubled Nicholas. This family had a widower and his three daughters. The family once had been wealthy, but had fallen on hard times now. The daughters were about the age to be married, but their father could not afford to give them a dowry. No young man would marry them if he could not have a dowry to support them as newlyweds. So the three young women would be destined to a life of servitude, or worse, prostitution. The father was despondent, and the daughters were coming to terms with their likely fate. When Nicholas learned of their trouble, he decided he would help as he could. But he did not want to do it publicly. Either out of humility or a desire not to damage the father's pride, Nicholas decided to deliver his gift in secret. So, in the middle of the night, Nicholas put a few gold coins in a bag and wrapped himself in a cloak. He slipped quietly down the streets and walked to their house and dropped the bag of gold into an open window. Some legends say it fell into a shoe or stocking or sock. And then Nicholas silently crept away. The next morning, the family was shocked to discover the gift, but they praised God for it. There was enough for the family to live on for a while and enough for a dowry for the oldest daughter. Soon she was married. Nicholas was so happy to see the joy that it brought the family that he decided the second daughter needed a dowry as well. So once again, he filled a small bag with gold coins and snuck off in the middle of the night to deliver his secret gift. The family again awoke to this amazing gift and soon enough, the second daughter could be married too. The family was overjoyed and soon she was married. But now the father was very curious. Who is this mysterious benefactor? And how could he ever thank him? The father had one more daughter, and he thought, this kind person might be kind enough to give one more gift. So he began waiting night after night near the window. Finally, in the middle of the night, the father woke to hear a jingle of coins as a small bag dropped into the window. Immediately, he rushed to the door to see who the person was. He saw a cloaked figure quietly walking away. He chased him down and caught him by the cloak. The father was overcome with joy and gratitude as he recognized Nicholas. But Nicholas told him to thank God, not him. And he asked the man not to tell anyone of what had happened. The man did thank God, but he could not keep quiet. And so the story of Nicholas's generosity and care for the young began. Now many scholars think this story is true, or at least rooted in truth. Some stories of saints have stock motifs or tropes. For instance, last episode with Bridget and Columkell, many of their stories are riffs on usual saint stories. But this story with Nicholas is unique. There are no miracles. There is no implausible motivation or virtue. Instead, it's the story of a kind, humble priest taking care of sheep in his flock. So many believe it really happened, or at least something very like it. But as I said, that's just the beginning of Nicholas' legends. Nicholas would leave Patera and be promoted from priest to bishop, and he would be sent to the town of Mira. Nicholas did live during a great turning point in the history of the church. During his time as bishop, he would have faced one of the greatest persecutions of the church, and then the greatest triumph. For the years of 303 to 305 AD, the emperor Diocletian persecuted Christians terribly. We don't know what happened to Nicholas during that time, 
but it's very likely that some of his flock were imprisoned or executed. And it's also pretty likely that Nicholas could have been imprisoned himself at some point. But whatever happened, he survived. And he was able to see the rise of the Emperor Constantine. And in 313 AD, Constantine would make the great Edict of Milan, which would legalize Christianity throughout the empire. Nicholas, like most Christians, must have been overjoyed at the news, and it truly must have seemed like a new era was beginning in the world. Several other Nicholas legends are worthy of note, and they take place in this time of Nicholas's life. In one, a Roman army docked at a nearby port and sent some men to Mira. While there, a brawl broke out. Nicholas, very unhappy to see this happen in his own town, made his way down to the port to talk to the generals in charge. He asked them what they were doing in the area. They told him, we're keeping the peace. He replied, well, you aren't doing a very good job of it. The embarrassed generals got their men in order. And in spite of just being rebuked by Nicholas, they kind of liked him. And before long, they were on such good terms that Nicholas invited them to come to Myra to have dinner with him. On the way back to Myra, some people ran to tell Nicholas that three innocent men were about to be executed. Nicholas and the generals made their way as fast as they could back to the town to find the men just moments away from execution. Nicholas demanded the executioner halt and said the men needed to be set free. With three generals standing next to him, no one dared stop him. The corrupt official who ordered the executions burst forward, asking who dared stop him. But when he saw Nicholas the bishop, next to three generals, he was terrified. He confessed that he had taken a bribe from two city leaders, trying to get rid of their political rivals. The men were set free, and the generals and the city people remembered Nicholas as a protector of the innocent. As I said before, Nicholas lived in a very important time for the Christian church, and another great event that occurred during his life was the Council of Nicaea. This council in 325 AD is one of the most important moments in church history. It was the first and the greatest of what were called the ecumenical councils, which means councils of the whole church. Bishops and priests from across the entire Roman Empire came to Nicaea, to solve the problems that were facing the church. We have a lot of documents on this great council, and we even have some rosters on who was there. But sadly, Nicholas's name is not found on the earliest lists. But several hundred years later, Nicholas had become so popular that it is likely people added Nicholas to the list of names. After all, how could this saint, already many people's favorite, be missing from such an important event? So not only was his name added, but soon there were legends of what Nicholas did while he was there. One of the great issues discussed at that council was the Arian controversy. One priest, a man named Arius, taught that Jesus was not fully God. Instead, he said that God created the Son, like he created everything else. But the Son was the greatest of all creation. And still, the Father created the rest of the world with the Son. But the Son was not God, at least not in the same way the Father was. More like the very best of the angels. So Arius preached this view, and was very good at spreading it throughout the whole empire. 
One way of doing this was by thinking of jingles to go along with his theological beliefs. One of these jingles said, There was a time when he was not. But it meant the father existed before the son. Arius would go down to the local docks and teach sailors these jingles, and pretty soon the heresy was spread throughout the whole empire. The Council of Nicaea would ultimately condemn this teaching and create the Nicene Creed, but it was discussed at length during the council. According to the legend, Nicholas was at the council and heard Arius defending the heresy. Nicholas was so upset that Arius was preaching Jesus was not fully God that he promptly got up and either punched or slapped Arius in the face. Nicholas was arrested for his outburst and later apologized, but was not sorry for defending the faith. Briefly, he was stripped of his title as bishop even, but it was restored later. Now, while this story is pretty fun, evidence for it is shaky at best. But it has still led to many hilarious memes, such as one with St. Nick saying, I'm here to give out presents and punch heretics, and I just ran out of presents. So while Nicholas was remembered for his generosity, his protecting of the innocents, and for his commitment to orthodoxy, he's also remembered as the patron saint of sailors. This is because there are also many legends that speak of Nicholas caring for sailors. In one of these, sailors near Myra were caught in a storm, and they were sure that they would be dashed to pieces. But having heard of the deeds of St. Nicholas, they prayed to God in his name. Suddenly a figure appeared on the boat and began to encourage them, and tie off ropes and with a pole pushed them off a rock. Once they were out in deeper, safer seas, the figure disappeared. Once the sea was calm, they came to the port near Myra and went to the church to give thanks to God. They were shocked to meet Nicholas, and they recognized him as the figure that helped them on the ship. Nicholas told them it was not him, but God who was helping them. There are many other sailing stories with Nicholas which is puzzling to some scholars because there's no good evidence that Nicholas did much or any serious travel on the sea. This has led some people to believe that the real sailor and saint was not Nicholas of Myra, but Nicholas of Sion. And after many centuries, the two Nicholases were lumped together in one to be the patron saint of both generosity and sailing the seas. Nicholas died around 343 AD, and we know that within 200 years, a church in Myra was built and named after him. His remains were moved and kept in that church. Over centuries to come, his popularity would spread. That spread is probably thanks to his connection with sailing. Many sailors had a special place in their heart for Nicholas, and soon many port cities had churches named after him. He became popular in England. Italy, France, Germany, and Greece. Christianized Vikings even named a church after Nicholas in Greenland. And in Russia, well, in Russia, he was the most popular of all. Soon he was known as Nicholas Ugodnik, that is, Nicholas the Helper. He became so popular that there is a saying in Russia, if anything happens to God, at least we will still have St. Nicholas. Already by the 11th century, he was so popular throughout Europe and Russia that in 1087, a group from the Italian city of Bari 
snuck into the church at Myra and stole his sarcophagus and took it back with him. This caused a bit of a scandal, but they did it because they knew he was so popular, many pilgrims would now come to their city to visit his bones. His remains are still in Barry to this day. Now, while Nicholas's nautical connection might have spread his fame, it was his generosity that made his legend grow deep roots. He became a saint in whom every person, man, woman, or child, could find comfort. In fact, after Jesus and Mary, in many places, Nicholas is the most popular saint. More legends sprang up about him saving babies from drowning rivers, rescuing travelers from kidnapping and disaster. In one strange and kind of gory story, Nicholas brings three students back from the dead who'd been chopped up and pickled in barrels. But people of all stations knew and loved Nicholas. Thomas Aquinas even writes about Nicholas as the great example of generosity. But how did Nicholas become the Santa Claus that we know today? Well, the traditions that we keep in America about Saint Nick began popping up in France in the 1200s. On the evening of December 5th, the day before Nicholas's feast day, some French nuns began telling the orphans they cared for to put their shoes out, and that maybe Nicholas would come and put gifts in their shoes, just like he did in the ancient story. The children would wake up to find small coins or sweets waiting in their shoes. And soon after this, people began exchanging gifts on St. Nicholas's feast day. Putting shoes out for Nicholas also became more sophisticated. Children started putting straw and carrots in their shoes, as the tradition began that St. Nicholas would ride through on a great white horse. Now the name Santa Claus comes from the Dutch name for Nicholas, Sinterklaas. And in the Netherlands, Sinterklaas would come from Spain, a tradition that goes back to a time when the Netherlands was ruled by Spain. This is also where the tradition of Zwart Piet, or Black Peter, comes from. Spain had a large population of North Africans called Moors, so Santa soon had a Moorish servant. Zwart Piet would help Santa with presents, but he might also take away the bad girl or boy with him in his sack. In France and Germany, St. Nicholas as gift-giver was replaced by Père Noël, Father Christmas in France, or by Christkindle that is, the Christ child, in Germany, which in America became Kris Kringle. In Scandinavia, while there were many folk tales about elves, soon elves became connected specifically with Christmas. And all these traditions began to mass together as people from all these places moved to the New World. But we still haven't gotten to the Santa Claus that we know and love in America, and we still have a little ways to go. So in America, all these traditions came together and lived side by side, but there was still no unified version of the Christmas gift-giver. That all happened thanks to a man living in New York in the very early 1800s. His name was John Pinterd, and John was very patriotic, and he wanted to promote a uniquely American culture. In doing this, he studied the history of New York and discovered its old Dutch heritage. If you remember the song, Istanbul, not Constantinople, you will know that even old New York was once New Amsterdam. And part of that Dutch heritage included Sinterklaas. 
St. Nicholas was a wonderful model of virtue, and soon he became a symbol of New York's heritage to John. As one of Pintard's friends said, To the memory of St. Nicholas, may the virtuous habit and the simple manner of our Dutch ancestors not be lost in the luxuries and refinements of this present time. The now-famous author, Washington Irving, also liked this story. And he included St. Nicholas in a silly mock history of New York, which gave St. Nick a pipe, and spoke about him riding around in a magical wagon, dropping presents down chimneys. About ten years later, another friend of John Pintard, a man named Clement Clark Moore, would write a poem that would solidify Nicholas as an American figure. That poem is, of course, The Night Before Christmas, and this gave America the basis of the picture of Santa Claus that we know today, not in a wagon, not riding a horse, but in a sleigh with eight reindeer. The poem also set the tone for how Americans would view Christmas. In other parts of the world, Christmas had been a time of rowdy parties, but this poem made Christmas the holiday of families, a holiday to celebrate at home. But the metamorphosis from Nicholas to Santa was not quite complete. In the 1860s, Santa gained some weight and started to be portrayed a little bit rounder. And it was also this time that Santa became connected with the North Pole. Around this period, Americans were enthralled with the idea of the North Pole and hoped that an American would reach it first. And so, thanks to a man named Thomas Nast, soon the North Pole was Santa's home. In 1931, Coca-Cola began its famous ad campaign, and in 1939, Santa's sleigh team got its ninth member, Rudolph. And as the nature of these traditions, he is still changing even today. So the Santa we have now is a long ways from Nicholas, who lived 1,700 years ago. What would Nicholas think of what his legacies become? Well, I doubt he'd be happy with all of it, for instance, I think he'd be horrified to find out that anyone would teach their child about him without teaching them about Jesus. And he might also be pretty shocked to know that he was connected with Christmas at all. But I think there are lots of things he would be happy with. No doubt he has brought joy to billions of people of all sorts of different nations and cultures and times. And for that, I think Nicholas can be pretty proud. So while it's probable that many of these legends are not true or ridiculously exaggerated, remember it's very possible that the story of the gifts truly did happen. And that means that one man giving a gift in secret so long ago would have an impact that would literally change the world. And how strange and wonderful it is that such small actions of goodness and kindness can reverberate throughout the centuries. So I hope you enjoyed learning about St. Nicholas. I certainly enjoyed researching him, and it definitely got me into the Christmas spirit. Well, that's all for me in 2019, but in 2020 we will pick it right back up. So thank you to all my dear listeners. I hope that you have a very Merry Christmas, and I hope you get a chance to remember St. Nicholas in some special way. I'm Eric Lawson, and thanks for listening.